most frustrating syndromes we face and dealing with a herd that had a lot of issues last year resulting in sick calves, some calves that even succumbed to scours, changing the environment. The herd comes in and wants to make some changes this year. We'll find out what changes on Bovine Science with Beef Cattle Institute. I'm Brad White and today I've got Dr. Bob Larson. Good morning. So we're happy to have you on. We're going to have you discuss some of these changes that we could make to the herd. And as we come up to scour season, and and we always think of those fancy candies you get at Easter, the peeps, Mm -hmm. well, you've got your own peep as far as preparation, pathogen, environment, exposure to older calves, passive transfer. That's your acronym for what we're going to do to prepare. So tell us a little bit about that peep plan. All right. So there's a lot of things that make calf scours a bigger problem or more likely. And, and you really listed them. So one of the most important things is exposure to other calves, and particularly slightly older calves, because the pathogens, the first P, um, are really, really common. They are pathogens that every cow is going to have in her gut, and so calves are going to pick those up. The whole question is, what's the level of exposure, and is it what you want is small exposure spread out over time so that the calf can develop immunity, and that's allows that calf to not get scours. So the pathogens are really common. We're not gonna we're not gonna avoid the pathogens. What we're gonna try to do is keep the exposure to those pathogens low and we do that by keeping the exposure to other calves low. Okay, so what what pathogens are you most concerned about? Which... Oh there's there's a handful that that cause most of the problems. Uh, rotavirus, coronavirus, obviously both viruses, E. coli, bacteria uh, cryptosporidium, and occasionally some salmonella bacterial problems. So we've got, you know, different types of pathogens, and they each of them may be a little bit different. The E. coli is a little bit maybe earlier in life, uh, the, the virals a little bit later, but we're still talking about the first couple of weeks of life. Yeah, so, so E. coli, rota, corona, Maybe as we get a little bit later, salmonella is one yeah. of the things you're you're concerned about. And, and cryptosporidia. About. And, and then crypto. So is there anything that you do different to control some of those specific pathogens versus others? Like the viruses versus the bacteria, is there more or less concern with different control mechanisms? Not really, in that all of them are going to be through the exposure of those young calves to a manure of a calf that's infected and has a high a high load of either viruses or bacteria. So basically, we're just, we're really focusing on the environment, you know, one of those other E's, the environment, making sure that it's clean and keeping the exposure down as low as possible. So it's really the same regardless of what the actual germ is. So when you say exposure, what are you actually talking about with those older calves? Um, it's, it's the feces of the older calves. And so this is what we call fecal oral um, spread. And so the, the and again, the interesting thing is older animals do develop a certain level of immunity to these pathogens. They never clear it that, that every cow has these pathogens in her gut. But a young calf, and let's buy a young calf, I'm saying maybe that three, four, five, six, seven-week-old calf. So kind of past that first three weeks are the danger period. If they're kind of past that, they're probably old enough, and there's several things going on there. It's not all immunity. It's just the robustness of the calf is old enough to really kind of not get into a full-blown scours, but they could have a fairly high load. And what I mean by that is number of pathogens, either virus or bacteria, per gram of feces is really high. You know, they don't have as much 
grams of feces as an adult cow, but the concentration is high. And a lot of times, if you think about how calves behave, and sometimes humans even kind of force calves together, you know, sometimes a little creep area for them to get away from the cows, but then the calves are really close together. And if they're really close together with older calves, uh, they can get a lot of exposure uh, in a pretty small amount of manure. And, and that ties into your other E, which is environment, right? Yes. So if we have the environment that's there, and your final P was passive transfer, mm-hmm. how big an issue is passive transfer? It, it's a pretty big issue in that um, I want those calves to get up and get colostrum that protects them. It, it protects them against the most serious forms of scours. It protects them against death um, pretty well, although not perfectly. The difference is, uh, you know, if you talk to dairy practitioners, because humans are there at the birth of the calf, and they immediately, humans give colostrum, and, you know, we talk about colostrum quality, we might measure the colostrum, we might measure the amount of colostrum we're giving. None of that's really what we do in beef cattle. So when I talk about passive transfer, it's really about making sure that the cow should provide good colostrum. So she's in good body condition, she's on a good diet, and um, she doesn't have a high risk of dystocia. So that, short, you know, she can give birth to that calf. He's vigorous. He can get up and suckle. Because we as the humans are not going to intervene on a calf-by-calf basis in a beef herd. So passive transfer is important, but I'm really managing it by kind of making sure the system is good for good passive transfer. Yep. You're managing, managing the herd. And sometimes for the, the PEEP, pathogen, environment, exposure to older calves, passive transfer, Sometimes you'll add a Z at the end because we're concerned about some zoonotic diseases. Which of those pathogens are you concerned about being zoonotic? Well, cryptosporidiosis and salmonella are the two that can, and zoonosis basically, that that we can get, the humans taking care of the calves can get a scours, a diarrhea disease from these calves. And the way I kind of try to teach the vet students and I talk about is, I don't know if the biggest pathogen load in this particular outbreak is one of those two, cryptosporidiosis or salmonella. But I think it's just wise to consider all calf scours outbreaks to be potentially um, harmful to humans. And so there's two things there. One is the caretaker themselves. But then the other thing to consider is if the caretaker goes back home and there are either infants, human infants, or elderly or someone else that's immunocompromised, you need to be aware of the need to be clean. So cleanliness, we're going to come back to that again. So it's not only cleanliness for the calves and their environment, but we need to be not bringing the clothes that we treated scouring calves back into the home, particularly if you've got, you know, either very young children or somebody that's immunocompromised. Yeah, absolutely. So when we, when we think about how to prevent some of these things, the Sandhills calving system is discussed a lot, and Sandhills calving system involves a, a lot of prep. So as we come up on to scour season, tell me a little bit about the Sandhills calving system and how we might implement it. Well, and I, I hopefully people are well aware of the Sandhills calving system because it's one of the interventions in veterinary medicine that I just want to give a lot of credit to. And was, as you might imagine, it was kind of developed by some people up at the University of Nebraska and the, the system that they outline is cows, basically you'd, you'd start the calving season with all the, all the pregnant cows and let them calve for two weeks. And then every cow that had not calved yet gets moved away. So you leave the cows with young calves in the original pasture. Then you move to a new pasture 
calve them out for another week and then m- remove the cows that hadn't calved yet after each week and basically go then each week through the subsequent calving season um, you are moving the heavies the, the non the cows that haven't calved yet away and so basically the way that works is every cow every calf is born into a pasture where he's in the first week of the calving season for that pasture and that is an extremely effective way to control calf scars because it it limits the exposure to the older calves uh, the passive transfer already has to be built in, but the environment and the, the environment, pathogens should be relatively the, low. The environment is really clean if you can follow that that yeah. system. Because each calf is born into a new clean pasture. The problem is that's a lot of, if my calving season goes for even eight weeks, you're talking about me having four different calving pastures, which could could be problematic uh, how, how do I manage, do I have to do it in two week intervals? What's, what are the other times that could work? Well, actually I'd like it to be one week intervals, but that becomes really hard to implement. And, and my opinion is get me as many pastures as I can. I'd really like, you know, at the very least two, in other words, once half the calves have been born, move the heavy, heavy cows, but really I, I'm much more happy if I can get to three or four. So two's a bare minimum, but not not really that helpful. If I can get to three or four um, calving pastures, and again, the other part that's I'm kind of assuming is a relatively short calving season. You know, so you're talking. It, it depends on how we're distributed too. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's not just if it's short. It is. Do I have two thirds of them in the first three weeks? Well, then maybe I want two pastures for the first three weeks, or am I uniformly distributed across? What you've done work looking. There's a lot of herds that are pretty uniform. Yes, that that's exactly right. Where, you know, they might have a 70-day calving season, and it's about the same number born each week. You know, it's not perfectly level, but it's about the same born each week. And so one of the ways to look at that is, well, I need, you know, pastures that can handle those, you know, kind of starting with more cows, because we start with all the cows, the ones that uh, have not calved yet, and then moving to smaller and smaller pastures as the herd gets smaller as we move forward. Uh, but if we're more front-end loaded and maybe two-thirds of the calves are born in the first uh, three weeks, I, I agree. We may want to be really aggressive in that first three weeks and have a, at least a couple of pastures for that first three weeks. But the beauty is I've got two-thirds of my calves born, and then um, then I might go every two or three weeks after that as we go on out the rest of the calving season. So there is room for um, my, my ideal is basically moving cows every week. Uh, that may be very difficult to implement. So my my next best plan is, well, how many pastures can we get? What is the distribution? And um, and I may not follow a strict rule of every two weeks. It might be every two weeks for the first four weeks, and then every three weeks or four weeks after that as we kind of finish off the calving season. Whatever, basically, I look at my resources. How many pastures do I have? And I look at my calving distribution and when I expect the cows to calve and kind of align that so that the most calves are protected. Okay, so common questions associated with this. One, how far apart do those pastures need to be? Can I take a hot wire and just divide a pasture that I have that's existing? Uh, Is that possible or do they need to be separated further than that? No, that's actually what I see most commonly done is using something like an electric fence. Because, you know, most of the time we don't have that many pastures at hand right around where we're wanting to calve. 
And so splitting them up by with electric fence, and that also allows me to, you know, kind of use existing water sources and those types of things that are that are important. And what you might recognize then, if I'm just using a hot wire, and you're talking about young calves, well, some of them, even a two-strand hot wire, some of them are going to get on the other side, and that's that's okay. This is not, again, we're not going for sterile. We're not going for absolutely no exposure to pathogens. It's about the pathogen load. That's the and key point. Most, it, not all. most of the cows and most of the calves away from most of the other cows and calves most of the time is enough to really make a big impact. Yeah, I, I think that's a key point that often gets left off is if I have a calf or a cow get back to the other side, okay, it, fine. Yeah. It, it, it's not that it has to be perfect as it goes through, but it needs to work most of the time. Yeah, I, that's exactly right. It needs to work most of the time. Okay, second question that comes up frequently, how long do I need to keep them separate? So you just made me come up with, let's say, three pastures. How, how long do I need to keep them separate? Yeah, well, I, and, and again, I... Longer would be better, but honestly, those calves become pretty robust and pretty resilient to calf scars after they're four weeks of age or so. And so once you're, once the oldest, you know, so now kind of in the, so the the trailing pastures, the ones that the calves are a little bit older, you can start putting cows and calves back together again once the youngest calves in there are four weeks of age or so. And again, that's not a hard line in the sand, but yeah, once they're about four weeks of age, I really expect them to be pretty tough and being able to survive the exposure that they're going to get in a normal situation. So I don't have to keep them apart to even the whole spring. If I keep them apart a month or so, great. Next question, what if I really can't do this well? And, and let's say my limiting factor is water. So I've got a pasture. Mm-hmm. You said put a hot wire through it. I've got one water source. I can't I can't really separate the cows. Is there anything that I can do if I can't follow your separation technique, any way that I can modify to try to at least incorporate some of the principles of the Sandhills calving system? Yeah, I, I may answer the, the answer you don't want, which is I would really work hard to try to develop some water sources. Even if, and, and again, a lot of times it's temporary. So things like hauling water to an area for three weeks, four weeks, is what I'm talking about. Not necessarily going to the expense of drilling new wells and building ponds, but I do want to think about, particularly if you can plan ahead, develop some water sources, even if it's for a few weeks in the spring or the calving season, that would I would still encourage you to figure out a way to make that happen. The other thing, though, is it's really all about what are we trying to do, trying to keep the environment clean, trying to spread calves out. And so the more I can do that, and that basically means moving so now i'm leaving most of the herd together maybe all the herd together well then i'm just trying to spread them out as much as possible don't let them congregate so a lot of times i I led with this earlier we're tempted to build a little creep because if we're calving in some inclement weather and you want to protect those calves from really cold temperatures and things like that you want to build a little creep shed and bed it Uh, the problem with that is yes i protected them from winter stress but now i've just made them very susceptible to scours because they're all so close together. So I try to avoid that. What I want to do is spread the hay around. And a lot of times that means unrolling rather than bale feeders once we start having calves. Bale feeders are great when the cows are still pregnant, a little bit less hay wastage. But now when I'm starting to get calves, I'm not as concerned about hay wastage as I am calf health. And so unrolling bales where I enroll them in a different place every single time I unroll them to keep those cows moving, keep them from congregating. And by unrolling the bales, yes, the calves will nest down in those bales, but rather compared to that, that creep shed, 
they're going to spread out a little bit more and not be quite so uh, close together. Yeah, so un- unrolling the bales, as you, as you talked about, the areas that cattle congregate, even if I'm in a larger pasture, they congregate around feed, water, mineral, and shelter. Yeah, we've right? seen situations where, you know, the pasture is large, but if you honestly start walking away from the gate, and if the, if the hay feeder, the water, and the mineral are all relatively near the gate, and you start walking and you get a few hundred yards away from that gate, there's no more cattle manure, that means there's no more cattle. So one of the ways to assess pasture utilization is if we were utilizing the whole pasture, and we often talk about this for grazing, but I think it's great in this example where we're concerned about the environment, I could walk around and look at manure pat distribution. So if I don't see it in parts of the pasture, they're not going there. There's no reason for them to go there if if they're not grazing during the year. So one thing that I've seen people do is water's hard to move, move the hay, move the feed, move the mineral far apart so the cattle are at least walking back and forth so that you so that you can move them away from the water. So that's that's potentially a solution. The other thing I wanted to follow up on, and, and you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but we talked about passive transfer, difference, beef, dairy. So on the, on the dairy side, we're going to be intervening. We're going to be assessing. On the beef side, we're not. And you said basically keep keep the cows in good shape is there more to it is there anything else i need to think about when when we come into especially related to cows versus heifers and even considering whether it's vaccination status of the cows exposure of the cows is there anything else i need to be thinking about managing passive transfer well one of the things that does come up is occasionally i I said like in a dairy situation the humans are going to be actively involved in beef herds, that's not common, but there will always be a few. So a cow that had a difficult birth, I'm probably going to supplement colostrum, either milk that cow out and get the colostrum and feed it to the calf or use a, a colostrum supplement or replacer. I think so that that dystocia case or the calving difficulty case is one where the humans are going to intervene and make sure that calf gets some passive transfer. The other one is, is sometimes a heifer just doesn't come into milk very good. And again, we're not a lot of times monitoring that closely, but a lot of times with heifers, we're monitoring them a little bit closer than cows, so we may be able to detect that she's not giving much colostrum, in which case we may want to supplement that calf as well. So by and large, we're not handling each calf and making sure that they get colostrum, but we are keeping our eyes open for those calves that would benefit because for some reason or another, the cow is not really giving the colostrum we need at the time we need it. And and when we talk about colostrum supplementation, I've heard you have 12 hours. I've heard you have 24 hours. What, what is your take on if I have a newborn calf, I'm not sure if he got colostrum or not. He's looking kind of dumpy. Give him colostrum, yes or no? Yeah, I would. And and basically, those those numbers are they vary. Basically, you you'll get the best colostrum uh, passing across the the gut pretty early, and so I want to get that first colostrum in them as early as possible, and certainly within six hours. That that gut isn't really going to close until we're out here past a day or so. But what you're really talking about is I'd like them to have more than one meal colostrum meal before that time frame's up. So maybe a calf that, you know, I didn't see it be born, uh, but it doesn't look like the heifer's providing much colostrum. Maybe he's gotten some, maybe he hasn't. I would go ahead and give him a supplement anytime in that first day. And again, the earlier, the better. Yeah. And we don't always want to give him just a little bit because that gut starts closing when it sees that protein. So you don't want to, if you have a dystocia, 
you don't want to have a little bit that we give and then hope he gets the rest later, I'd go ahead and give him a full, a full Absolutely. dose is typically what people recommend. The other question I'd ask you is kind of changing the scenario. We talked a lot about preparing. What are some of the things we can do to get ready? What if you're in the midst of an outbreak? What if it's mm-hmm. changed the scenario and all of a sudden it's, it's March 20th, I've got a bunch of scouring calves I can't do prep anymore. Right. I'm in the middle of it. What are what are your immediate recommendations for trying to shut that thing down? Well, what is really clear in that type of a situation is we've got too much exposure. You know, because obviously because we've got calves that have scours, and so I would change the environment immediately. So basically, move the cows and calves. Well, maybe two two things. If I had two pastures, I would take every cow that had not calved, move them to a new place, and every cow with a young calf. Uh, maybe the first week of life, maybe the first two weeks of life, kind of depending on the situation, and move them away from the older calves. So I've got, I know that I've got an environmental contamination problem. I've got to change uh, that situation, and we're going to do that by moving the cows to a new pasture so that now the new cows or the cows that hadn't calved, now they're starting day one, new, new location. Those calves will be great. The young calves, if I can move them away from those older calves, I'll sure start bringing that problem down. So ideally, you'd move the pregnant cows yet to calve to a new environment, and you would move the calves that were already in that environment to a new environment. Yes. And so you'd split them at least two different ways with your young calves, and if you could, you'd separate if there's older calves in there. How effective is that at managing a scours outbreak? Very effective. I mean, if we can change the environment... Uh, we change that exposure really rapidly. And so it's, it becomes one of the, and a lot of times it's not particularly convenient. If it was convenient, I would have done it already. Because it is pretty effective, um, it's worth the work to move those cows. You talked about hauling water, rigging something up to get water, which is a real pain. And if I see that going into it, I go, I don't know if it's worth it or not. But if you're in the middle of, I've got 15, 20% of the calves that are having scours. Way less work than treating scours every day. Way less work than treating scours. And again, scours. a lot of times what I'm talking about is get them into a new place at least just for a few weeks. And so, yeah, it's an extra work hauling water or doing something for a few weeks. But then as those calves get a little bit older, uh, you can kind of go back to the management you were doing before. Yeah, absolutely. And so, as you described at the Sandhills calving system, you would move every two weeks. But you, you, you told me a bunch of different permutations that we could go through that are very effective, and they all tie back to those PEEP principles, right? Mm-hmm. The pathogen, the environment, the exposure to older animals, and the passive transfer. How do I manage those while considering that this is potentially zoonotic? So as you're preparing for calving season, getting some of those paddocks ready, getting ready to be able to do the transfer of those animals Goes a, goes a long way toward preventing scours. When you've seen people implement this, what have their results been? Amazingly good. As a veterinarian, there's a lot of times we're dealing with complex diseases, and we try to make them less bad. This is, if you implement a pretty rigorous part, you know, it doesn't have to be the full Sandhills calving system, but pretty close, I, you'll be extremely pleased with how effective this is at stopping and preventing scours. Yeah, absolutely. So as you plan, make sure that you can get those plans ready and put in place. The big area that's going to take extra work is the water. And we know that you're going to have to figure out how do we get water to those different pastures. But they don't have to be permanently fenced. Yeah, They don't have to have some of the other things that we would if we were keeping them inside a perimeter. 
and it doesn't have to be perfect. And you can apply those same concepts in the midst of an outbreak or in planning to prevent an outbreak. So thanks for joining us today, Bob. Anything else on scours? Uh, just PEEP is a good analogy to, to remember those important p- parts of uh, preventing scours. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us today. And if you have other topics you'd like us to talk about, you can send us an email at bci at ksu.edu.